The Bible reading this morning is from John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. And it's entitled, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thanks, Kerry. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be together, to learn together, and I pray that you would speak to us and teach us now for your purposes, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and this brings us to the end of our walk through John. Next week, we start... 1 John. We're still going to have the same author and we are going to listen very carefully to the emphasis that he brings to us because it reinforces for us what our focus as a church is for this year, which is... What is it? A bit more confident. What is it? That's it. Connecting. Connecting with God, but especially also following out of that, connecting with one another and then connecting with others, friends, family, those who don't follow the Lord Jesus yet. So I did this uh, talk, this passage rather, back in February when we started off with Focus Sunday. So I'm going to not repeat that. I'm just going to remind some of the overview of that. And then I want to emphasise the the second half of the chapter because that's where um, I ended up going this week. It's been a busy week. We had a funeral on... A funeral? We had a... Well, same thing. A wedding on Friday. (laughs) 
what? It's the end of that man's life as he knows it. Stop digging. Stop digging. That was a great time on Girl on the Beach. Uh, that's Tim and uh, Bromwyn, if you know them, out of the 1030 service. And uh, yesterday we had a, a second wedding here, Michelle and Wesley, here in our auditorium. A lovely young couple. They sometimes come to 8.30, but also 10.30. And Michelle's been part of our church for yonks, particularly the Cantonese service. Lovely girl, lovely guy. And uh, may God bless both of them in their new marriages together. So it's been a busy week. And then child dedication this morning and sermons, two sermons messages this morning. And then Pastor Charlie's not well, but he's recovering. And there's a possibility, depending on his voice, that I'll be back tonight. But he's reassuring me that he'll be fine. So... I'm not picking up my phone this afternoon, so. Uh, Pete, out of our office, Peter McCullough, is on holidays for five weeks. Well deserved. And he's been trying for a couple of years to get to WA, and because of COVID, cancelled. Tried last, cancelled. He's lined up again this year. This week, they're heading down to Tasmania for a few days. That'll be nice, won't it? They'll have a lovely time in Tasmania and then back for a couple of days and then going to WA. Pray for them. They had COVID about a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago. So just pray that they'll be protected. And he needs a holiday. He needs a good holiday. And so pray for Kim as well, who's our lady in the office. And so Pete's done a handover to her and she's stepping up to do some of his responsibilities. He, she can't do them all. So some things will be left on hold. We won't be paid till Pete gets back, but that's okay. That's not true. He's got all that covered. So pray for Pete and Judy that they have a great, refreshing, relaxing, refreshing time and that they come back safe and sound. Don't forget the end of this service too, please, if you can, get your photo taken, especially if we don't have your photo. If we've got a photo of you and it's in the directory and it's an old photo, well, that's better than nothing. And I might just leave mine there because I'm about 15 years younger. You look better, but I don't. Oh, that'll get me brownie points, don't you worry. Um, so please, if you're part of our church family, that would be, as Charlie said, I echo it. It's, it would be very, very helpful. And we also have morning tea and cheer, uh, cheers, um, bloom. Um, don't forget to buy your ticket uh, today. You can buy it next Sunday, I think, as well, because it's on the Saturday after that, isn't it? The Saturday of... Mother's Day weekend. This chapter, John 21, falls into these three paragraphs. The first 14 verses talk about Jesus tells us how to serve him. And then the next two paragraphs, the Lord Jesus talks about how we are to do that. The priority is to love him and the process is by following him. It's a very simple chapter. But the interesting thing is, as you look through the Gospels, each Gospel at the end of it ends with a conversation that the Lord Jesus had with his disciples. I hadn't noticed that before, but I did this week, because I noticed it particularly with John. And then I just thought, I wonder what the others do, and I went back to it. The Gospel of Luke records, it's like they sat down, and of all of the things that Jesus said, and all of the things that Jesus did, and after he rose from the dead, he was with them for 40 days. Not every day, but for 40 days, he was with them, uh, talking, teaching them about the kingdom of God, eating with them, giving them instructions, and so on. For 40 days, of all the things that he said in that period of time, what do you write down? Well, Matthew wrote down when he was in Galilee, and it's the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. Matthew records that. He thinks that's 
key. Luke records for us that on the very first Sunday, he records that conversation when Jesus with the two on the Emmaus road, that conversation, and then he appears in the upper room and he has a whole conversation with the disciples on the very first Sunday. And that likewise is about wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit and then I want you to go into all the world, I want you to preach the gospel, that repentance and forgiveness of sins is available to people and lo, I am with you until I return, until, and then I'll come back, his return, that's Luke. Luke gets a second bite of the cherry because there's a conversation recorded in Acts chapter 1, very similar. Mark even, Mark who ends his gospel rather abruptly with the women seeing Jesus in the tomb and the or, sorry, seeing the tomb is empty and then two angels telling them that he is alive and they run out into the garden and they hesitate and that's where the gospel ends. But if you look in your Bible, you'll find that there are various other endings that have been added to the Gospel of Mark because it's almost like the early church is saying, no, 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 it doesn't end there. There were conversations that he had. Here is a sample of one and here is a sample of another one. And now scholars look at, well, which one of those is real and which one belongs and which one doesn't? And bottom line is, cuts off at verse 8 and we don't know what Mark wrote after that, if in fact he wrote anything. The Apostle John of all of the things, and in fact, John says at the end of the book, John chapter 21, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't be able to have the, the room for the books that could be written. Jesus did a lot of things and said a lot of things. Out of all of those things, which one am I going to tell you? That sort of was appropriate, wasn't it, for Jesus? Of all other things. <laughs> and John records this conversation in Galilee. The very last thing he wants to leave us with because it illustrates something. Over the years, John went around repeating these stories and teaching them and so on, and so did the other apostles. And in the course of time, in telling stories, the parables, the miracles, and so on, you suddenly get an understanding that, hang on, there's a pattern here. There are principles here. And those principles still apply to us. So they tell these stories with a view to teaching the current church what's going on. That's exactly what happens here in this chapter. Each of the Gospels ends with a conversation. John selects these two conversations. Firstly, the one in verses 1 to 14 is about where they go fishing, catch nothing at night, similar to Luke 5, um, which interestingly happened right at the beginning of their call to be apostles. This happens right at the end. That's like bookends again. Uh, they catch nothing. Jesus is on the beach and he gives them instructions, casting that on the right-hand side, and they do, and they get a big haul of fish. They even count them, 153 large fish. When they get to shore, they find out Jesus already has a charcoal fire and there are fish and bread there already prepared and Jesus invites them to have breakfast. What is that all about? Very quickly. Here is the lesson for us. Verses 1 to 14 teach us how to serve him. John told this story over and over and over. In the process of telling it, I think it would have dawned on him and commentators now read it and they see the same things I think that dawned on John. A.W. Pink observes, and I think correctly, the disciples are in the boat on the sea. Jesus is not with them in the boat. Jesus is distant from them on the shore, just like for us. 
We're in this life, in the boat, on the seas of this world, and Jesus is distant from us. He's on the shores of heaven. But he directs us and manifests his power to us, working, well, he worked through them as they struggled to try and catch fish. He revealed what they ought to do, and in the process provides for them as well as revealing his love. He then gives instructions later on in the chapter about feed my sheep, follow me, and I'm coming back. It's a marvellous parallel. Here are the lessons. Let me go through it again with you. The disciples were making decisions and doing things in their own strength, self-will. We can do the same problem. When we do that, the result is barrenness. We're not productive. It doesn't work. We try to do things in our own strength, our own thoughts. Oh, this would be a good idea. Let's do this. But unless God is in it, unless God is directing it, then it's barrenness. It's fruitless. The Lord Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Then Jesus gives us directions. As we listen to him, he provides for us. He tells us what to do. And the result is then fruitfulness, abundance. Jesus knows where the fish is. Jesus directs our steps. He leads us in his ways. It's, we don't build the church. He does. But he builds the church through us and with us. It's his church. It's not our church. And then comes the, um, the provision of the fish, which is not just for them at the time, but that was, would have been quite a resource for them. They would have sold a lot of that, and that would have been a source of income for them, providing for them, for their wives, for their children, their families, and so on, as well as for ministry. And the significant thing is that when we listen to Jesus' directions and we work for him and he blesses us, he also invites us to have breakfast with him. Fellowship. Spend time with me on a daily basis. They're the things that I can see in that passage, which are true for us generally. So, some of us are certainly like Peter. Peter, when he was a kid, must have been, you know, strong-willed and aggressive in his behaviour. He's always doing things very, very quickly. Might come back to that, not sure. But like Peter, he had disappointed the Lord, denied him, drifted a little bit, and maybe you, some of us, are like Peter here today, that we've had better days with the Lord than we're having right now. We may have drifted like Peter had. Just little things, little things that we're no longer doing. We're not as close. In a couple of the weddings I did, I gave this illustration. I'd read an article about it, so I asked my wife, Rhonda, <clears throat> um, what are some good basic habits for young couples or for new couples to make sure they've got in place? And Rhonda came up with a very good list, so I just used that. Have basic good manners with one another. Don't forget to say please and to say thank you. Don't neglect those little things. And if you miss it once or twice, then it's not the end of the world. But if you drop it all together, if you never do it, then you suddenly start finding yourself drifting apart. A little habit can have a big impact. And just for the fun of it, she's not here this morning, she's probably down there. My little granddaughter, Marnie, I've been teaching her that she should always say, you know, please and thank you. Mum and Dad do that too. But I've been teaching her, you know, when she asks for something, what's the magic word? And she says, please. She's supposed to say please, aren't you? But I haven't been teaching her that. What's the magic word? Abracadabra. (laughs) 
So last Sunday she goes out, she comes back in, she says, Papa, can I have a chocolate? And I said, what's the magic word? She goes, when she comes out, she says, abracadabra. <laughs> Her father's here this morning, so the, not my problem, it's your problem. <laughs> She's going to be at school and some teacher's going to go, what's the magic word? Abracadabra. <laughs> so too with Jesus, little habits. Be considerate of one another in your marriage. Spend time together. Um, communicate, resolve conflict, all of those good things. They're only little things, but they're all very helpful for marriage relationships. So too in our relationship with Jesus. It's the little things. Let's have a chat with him every day. If you miss a day, it's not the end of the world. But if you miss a week, if you miss a month, if you miss several months, you drift, don't you? Chat with him every day pray. Um, having a date with your wife, partner is uh, very crucial for the relationship. So have a date with Jesus. Spend time alone with him. Be spiritually active. Consider him in all that you do. So some of us might be like Peter. So we need to hear what Jesus now does with Peter, who had drifted, who had struggled. And Jesus comes pursuing him just like Jesus is pursuing you. This passage, verses 15 to 17, teaches us how to love him. It certainly emphasizes for us that Jesus wants us to love him. That's priority number one. Ahead of all that we do, loving him is number one. Um, and this passage points out for us three ways we can do that. Let me read you the passage. It's familiar to you and we've certainly looked at it several times over the years. When they had finished eating, so they've had breakfast... Peter, Jesus, John, and the other seven or whatever it is, number of guys there. And then I think Jesus taps Peter on the shoulder and they get up and they go for a walk. They're not still sitting in the group. When you read it, it might sound like that initially, but when you get down to verse 18, it tells us um, that Peter turns around, verse 20, sorry, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So they're walking somewhere along the beach. And Peter turns after this conversation and sees someone following him. So Peter and Jesus are walking together. And in the process of that, there was this conversation. When they'd finished eating, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? So he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Goes on to the conversation, but we'll hold that for a second. How does Jesus want us to love him? He wants us to love him supremely. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And I know many of you know this already, but I'm just reminding you. More than these, we don't know exactly what that means. My guess is the third one. But Jesus could have meant the others as well. They're not necessarily excluded. Jesus wants us to love him supremely. I am to love Jesus more than I love my wife. I am to love Jesus more than I love my kids, my grandkids, or my books, or my golf clubs, or my car, 
I am to love him. I'm even to love him more than I love my own life. For Peter, it could have been those things. Jesus could have been referring to the boat, the nets, the business, the career, the old way of life, his trade. Do you love me more than you love those things, Peter? Or it could be the people, the disciples that he was with. His brother was there. His trade partners were there. His friends and companions for the last three or four years were sitting there. They'd been through some pretty big experiences together, which would have milled them together closely. Peter, do you love me more than you love your brother, your family, your business associates, your closest friends? Do you love me more, more than these? And this is my best guess. I think Jesus is saying, Peter, once you boasted about a week ago that you love me more than they love me. You boasted that they might desert you. I will never leave you. I will never desert you. And that's when Jesus, of course, corrects him that before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That's that comparative. You failed, Peter. Would you still say that you love me more than these others love me? Has Peter grown? Has he become humbled by the experience? But it illustrates for us the truth that Jesus wants us to love him supremely. In Luke 14, there is a no holds barred, straight in your face confrontation about what Jesus expects of us as his disciples. Verse 26, we're to put him before all, all others. Father, mother, wife, kids, him first. And if you don't do that, Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. My best friend at high school read that verse and he said, that's it. I'm not following Jesus. If he wants me to love him more than I love my mum and dad, he can forget it. It's a choice. And he made that choice. I hope he changes his mind. Verse 27, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And verse 33, if you don't renounce all of your possessions, you can't be my disciple. It's pretty blunt. Jesus is not saying you've got to sell everything and give everything away. He's just simply saying he owns it all. And he does anyway. He wants you to use it for him and use it as his representative. Whoops. So Jesus in that passage, Luke 14, is saying to us that he wants us to love him supremely, sincerely, submissively, all of us, with no, no withholding, no reservations, and no hesitation. He wants us to love him actively because every time Jesus says to Peter, do you love me, he always follows it up with, and do this. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Look after my sheep. If we love Jesus, then it has an implication about our relationship with his people, his flock, and that we are to serve and follow him by caring for the people. If we don't love them as he wants us to, then we're not really loving him the way that he wants us to. The Lord Jesus has given each of us a role to play, a task to do, and a place to serve. And he's assigned us that with, our, with his followers, that we are to be in fellowship. Jesus is concerned not just with knowing things and talking about things, it's about doing things. Public displays of affections are not the surest sign of love. Let me say that again. PDAs, public displays of affection, are not the surest sign 
of love. Would you agree? Public displays of affection, holding hands, hugging, kissing, whatever, public displays of affection are not the surest sign of love. They are part of it. But if that's all you do, if all, if all I did with my wife was hold her hand, hug her publicly and kiss her on the cheek publicly, or if I felt like it on the lips publicly, depends how you behave. Um, if that's all I did, then that's not indicating that I love her. That's just me portraying that publicly. So what do I do when I'm at home? Do I rub her feet when they're sore? Do I make her a cup of tea? Do I notice her and talk to her and share her and let her into my life? Hmm. So too with Jesus. Public displays of affection to him in a worship service are not the surest sign that you love him. Talking about him, obeying him, serving him, that indicates that you love him. That's why John says, Dear children, let us not just love with words or speech. It's part of it, but not just that, but with actions and in truth, sincerely. Unless Peter feeds the lambs and tends the sheep, then he does not love Jesus the way that he wants to be loved. Christ's followers are to be active in our love for him. And certainly as we age, and I can testify to this, our ability to be active decreases. We don't become inactive, but what we could do once, we can no longer do. But we don't cease altogether. We can still pray, we can still fellowship, we can still share, we can still encourage, we can still give. There are still lots for us to do, to be active in how we serve him. We have to love him publicly. So we've said love him supremely, love him actively, love him publicly. Love him openly, before others. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't back away. Three times that Jesus asked the question, three times Peter says, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. Well, Jesus does know. Well, if Jesus knows, why does he ask him? Two reasons. One, because Jesus wants to hear it. And number two, because Peter needs to say it. It's good for him. Jesus is actually helping him get in tune with what's going on inside him. So too, God wants to hear from us and we need to say it. Love is not satisfied or sated with yesterday's declaration of love. It needs to be said and heard again and again and again. That's true for you, isn't it? It's true for my wife. Every day, I've been married for 40, she's been married for 45.75 years. 46 years in July. It's, where is it? 16,700 days. It's not a bad innings. On every day, well, not every day. There are a couple of days where I've been cranky or sulky or upset with her and I probably haven't said it. If I counted them, it'd be like one, two, miss a few, 99, 100. There are, there are times that I haven't said it, but they're very rare now. I'm not allowed to leave the house. The sentence doesn't stop there without kissing her, without saying goodbye. The other day, I left the house three times. 
Had to go out shopping, had to come back. Had to go to the church, came back. Had to go out to see a meeting, come back. <coughs> Not allowed out of the house. You know why? Because I could get killed on the way. <laughs> I'm sure she will remember that last peck on the cheek. And this morning, one of the things I hate, I hate kissing a woman <laughs> with lipstick on. It transfers. I don't know how you girls wear it. When she kisses me with lipstick, I've got to get a hanky and wipe it off. So this morning, she's got lipstick on, so I just went leaned over and she's there and I went, and she went, it was a pretend kiss. But that counts. I would think after nearly 46 years of me saying it at least once a day, and it's probably a lot more than that, let's make it 10 times a day. Probably hasn't been, but just for the maths, otherwise it's too hard for me. That's 167,000 times. Surely that's enough. Hand up for yes. Two men. You guys are in trouble. Who thinks it's not enough? Every woman's hand is no, didn't it? It's not. She'll want me to keep doing it. And it's not just her either. I need her to do it. That's what it's about. Well, God made us in his image and we need to hear it from each other. God wants to hear it from us. And that's what Jesus is doing with Peter. God made us to love him and for us, him to love us. He wants us to love him supremely. He wants us to love him actively and he wants us to love him publicly, unashamedly. I did the wedding the other day and there was this guy at the end of it who came up yesterday, uh, Friday, he came up to me on the beach and I don't know if he was at the service or not, but he came up to me, he's with somebody who was at the service and he said, are you the, the, past, are you the guy who uh, just did the wedding? And I said, yes, I am. He said, are you one of those Jesus people? <laughs> Which I went, I don't know what he means by Jesus people and there are some nuts. So I don't want to give him the wrong impression. Are you one of those Jesus people? I follow Jesus, yes. So do I. Put it there. <laughs> I'm just telling you that to say we need to love him publicly, openly, unashamedly. Don't back off when you get the opportunity. I'm talking to myself as well. There are times when I back off, when I go, mm, what will people say? What will they do? But Jesus wants us to love him. Don't be, don't be rude and brash and loud. Uh, dear pastor friend of mine, I've told you this story before, so I won't name him, but if you've heard it and remember it, then you'll remember. He, when he prays for you publicly, you're in a coffee shop, which is a nice place to be, and you're chatting. But when this brother prays for you, dear Lord Jesus, it's like everybody in the cafe is turning around and looking. <laughs> I don't like those prayers, I tell you. Please say amen so I can crawl out of here. <laughs> it's not a demonstration. He's, he's and he's not putting it on. That's just him. He's sincere. Uh, don't misunderstand me on that one. Uh, Jesus wants us to love him and he wants us to um, be committed to him personally every day. To be connecting with his people every week and to be confessing him publicly at every opportunity. Isn't that well written? Do you see what I've done? Committed, connecting, confessing, all in yellow. 
personally, people and publicly in green every day, every week, every hour. I'm impressed. <laughs> I pinched it. Well, I modified it. But that encapsulates it for me. How are we to love him? Supremely, actively and publicly. Time is gone. How are we to follow him? You know, I'm racing right now. To follow him, the Lord, when Jesus says it on many occasions, it means leave what you're doing, spend time with me every day, listen and learn from me and do as I say. Receive my training, copy me, my standards and practices, and be positive about me to others. We are to follow him regardless of our past, past failures. None of us are perfect, none of us. My wife said to me the other day in the car, she says, we're all broken, aren't we? I don't know what we're talking about. We're all broken, aren't we? And I said, yep. And far more than we know ourselves. We are broken people. Therefore, be gracious and merciful to one another. The wonderful promise is, this is of the Messiah, a bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed is useless. It's a reed, instead of being strong and straight up and useful, is broken. What's it good for? Nothing. A bruised reed he will not break. What's a good as a smouldering wick, a candle that's no longer giving light, it's just got smoke coming up, it's smouldering. He doesn't even snuff it out. We are broken, we are bruised, we're smouldering. But he restores, he forgives and he rebuilds. Jesus can heal any broken heart, but he needs all the pieces. You've got to give it all to him. We're all broken. When they sin against you, Solomon prays, for there is no one who does not sin. There's no one in this room who does not sin. There is no one in this room who is not a sinner. The difference Jesus makes is, as we follow him, we are a forgiven sinner. Not perfected, but better than what we were. Not necessarily better than one another, but better than what, I'm better than what I was. But I'm not perfect. Well, Rhonda would disagree, but no, she wouldn't. Regardless of how deep you've dived into whatever sin you're into, or regardless of how many scars you've got on your soul, and no matter how many smudges and stains on our past, he wants to cleanse. He wants us to follow him regardless of our past. Don't use your past as an excuse. I used to like to play golf. I haven't played for a long time. Do you know what a mulligan is? A mulligan is where you, you're on the tee and you go to tee off and you hit the ball and you miss hit it. You clip it and it doesn't go down the fairway, it just goes dribble, dribble, dribble. A mulligan is a second chance. You race down, you pick up the ball and you come back and you put it back on the tee and you get a second shot. A mulligan. That's what he gives us. A second chance. Another chance. A do-over. Do you have a rule in your family that you spill food on the ground? It's a three-second rule? That's a mulligan. That's a do-over. Follow him regardless of your past. Follow him regardless of the cost. Verses 18 and 19, the Lord Jesus says to Peter that, Peter, when you were young, you used to do your own thing. When you get old, somebody else is going to dress you and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. You're going to be crucified. Follow me regardless of what the future is. I don't have time. But why did Peter deny Jesus? Fear of death. Fear of being exposed and killed. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to die. Follow me regardless of that, regardless of the cost. And follow me regardless of what others will do. That's what's going to happen to you, Peter. And Peter, as he's walking along, turns around and sees John following him. He says, what about him? 
And Jesus says, none of your business. What I do with him is between him and me. You follow me. And that's what Jesus says to us. Follow him regardless of what others do or if others do. We follow Jesus together, but we don't follow Jesus because you do. We follow Jesus because we choose to. I choose to follow Jesus and obey him. And I do that with others. So how to follow him? Regardless of our past, regardless of the cost, and regardless of what others do. What does God want for you? God wants you in a nice um, relationship with him. God wants you to be right with him. He wants you to know in your heart and mind. And he wants you to live it out in your life. And he wants you to feel it in your soul. We've done that. We've done that. We've done that. There are questions available for personal reflection that are down the back over there. I encourage you to grab some of those and reflect on this passage of scripture and what, where you're at and which part of it. Um, let me say this before we pray. Um, I said before, some of you might be like a little bit like the Apostle Peter. You may have drifted. Um, or maybe you haven't drifted, but you need to you'd like to recommit your life about how to serve him or how to love him or how to follow him more closely. You can do that now. I'm going to pray in a moment and I invite you to pray along with me. Just quietly echo the words in your own heart to the Lord. If you're not ready to do that, then by all means, listen. But then I would encourage you, take the time to think about it and to consider what you need to do and what you want to do. So having said that, let's pray. Lord, I want to know you more and more. And I want to make you known to those around me. Lord, I want to love you more and more. And to love others as you've commanded me. Lord, I want to serve you with all of my life in any way that I can. Lord, here I am. Use me. Take me as I am. I want to be committed to you every day, to praise you every morning and to live for you every day. I want to be connected with your people every week. And Lord, I want to be confessing you to others at every opportunity. So Lord Jesus, I want to serve as you direct, to love as you deserve and to follow as you require. Amen. May God bless you. Let's stand together and finish our service. If you prayed that prayer, if you'd like to chat about that, if you'd like someone to pray for you, Pastor Charlie's here, I'm here, there are some elders here, some others here who would love to pray with you and encourage you. Here is our closing blessing. Receive this as God's grace to you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week. Please be seated.